Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, July 4th, and because of that, West off right off the bat, I need fireworks. Give me a grill sizzling up some burgers in the background. Ooh, is that a nice Budweiser can I just heard pop open? In fact, give me that cannonball splash into the water because happy Independence Day to all of our Independence Day celebrators here in America listening to us. And obviously, there is no better way to celebrate Independence Day than when in, with an action-packed day of tennis. Joining me to break down all of yesterday's action, helping me preview all of the wonderful tennis we have ahead of us on this July 4th holiday. You know his work from our website, CrackedRackets.com, where he is one of our favorite writers. You may also know him as the host of the Wednesday Mini Break Podcast with Jamie McDonald. We're working him three times a week this uh, this week, and we can do that because he is a former four-star tennis recruiting.net player. Matt the Cracks the Koyak, welcome back to the Mini Break Podcast. I'm not tired yet, Groskin. I don't know about you, man, but I got a lot of juice left, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm ready to. I'm just ready for a nice, relaxing day, a Fourth of July, watching tennis all all day. Give me every single match in Wimbledon. I'm gonna be on it. Uh, I'm just. I'm ready, man. This is great. And even beyond uh, just the the amount of tennis that's going to be uh, excellent uh, from the American perspective, given that it is Independence Day, you're going to see a lot of American tennis players on your screen tomorrow, and that is something certainly we can be positive about. I know you and I both, obviously, American tennis fans. But real quickly, before we get into the tennis, any fun Independence Day uh, celebration thoughts? Oh, man. I mean, I, I do have, I have several thoughts. Um, I, I don't know if I'm, <laughs> what are get, you planning? I don't know if I'm going to get into all that. Um, but no, man, I mean, really, I mean, it, it's a good day, at least down here in the South, go to the pool, hang out, have some brews, um, and watch some tennis, man. I might flip on the, the Nathan's hot dog eating contest for a minute and <laughs> see how many, uh, if Joey Chestnut's going to break his record, but yeah, regardless, man, it's going to be, it's going to be a great day, mainly filled with tennis. Obviously, the ESPN 30 for 30 on Kobayashi and Joey Chestnut came out yesterday, so it's hot in, I suppose, the sporting world right now. But do you think there's a rivalry right now in men's or women's tennis that is as competitive or fierce as Kobayashi, Chestnut, and his prime? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would still say, I mean, any time the big three get together, I mean, whether it's, you know, Rafa Fett, I feel like it's whenever they're playing Joe. Sorry to cut you off. I just feel like in particular, it's whenever they're playing Djokovic. That's when it really gets competitive. And Djokovic, because I think there's a little bit more, I don't know. I mean, the Federer-Djokovic rivalry has always been, like, I don't know what the word is. Just not not more heated, but I don't think Roger and Novak have the same relationship that Roger and Rafa do. So there's just a little bit of a different dynamic there. But I think any time a combination of those three, you know, they're on the court— I mean, that's as big as it gets, man. So I, I would definitely say any of those combinations would rival the Chestnut Kobayashi. And, you know, at, at the tail end of that rivalry, I mean, Chestnut really pulled away, kind of asserted his dominance. So it was a good rivalry for a while, but then, you know, that, that kind of went one-sided. So 
to transition this back to tennis, I would say, yes, the big big three, big four stuff, that speaks for itself on the men's side. I would also say on the men's side, some of the young guys. I could see a Zverev, Tsitsipas, obviously the Tsitsipas-Medvedev rivalry uh, already alive and well, but there's a lot of potential fun matchups amongst that crew that I think as fans of the ATP game, we have a lot to look forward to. Right now on the women's side, there's a lot of parity. For me, that peak match, Wozniacki versus Halep in last year's Australian Open women's final that to me was always a rivalry that could have been uh, but not too many really really fierce individual matchups at least at their prime form right now that I can think of but again so many young players there uh, in action so many young stars on the WTA side that again uh, it's obvious to say our game is in good hands moving forward but maybe the fiercest rivalry one listeners you may have this match have already been played by the time you're listening to but something we're in store for on July 4th that curious Nadal rivalry is real well I just I I don't know. Three I mean, and three all time. Three, three and three all three time. Three and three all time. I mean, it's it's not like we see the matchup all that often. I mean, they've only played six times. But what makes it so much fun is that there's a little bit of bad blood there. I mean, I I, I think it's safe to say that you know they're, they're definitely not the best of friends. I mean, I don't think they're going to be going out having dinner anytime soon. Um, you know, we know Kyrgios is really good friends with Andy Murray and a lot of the other pros on tour that actually really like Nick Kyrgios off the court. Um, but Rafa's not one of those guys. So I think that just adds to the rivalry a little bit. And yeah, I mean, I'm, man, I'm ready for this matchup tomorrow, man. I'm sure we'll talk about it, uh, here in a little bit. If you're four, five, six beers deep on that July 4th celebration, because I know Nadal Kyrgios towards the end of the day, so you'd have already had your time to get your day drinking done. That is going to be a fun nightcap, I promise you. Kyrgios' antics, especially if you're a little tipsy, going to be that much more <laughs> exciting on the court. So, yeah, as you mentioned, we will preview all of the Day 4 action in a little bit. Before we do that, we have a ton of crazy Day 3 stuff to talk about. You ready to rock and roll? Oh, yeah. So the place we have to start, in my opinion, and as you know, uh, at Crack Rackets, our origins are next-gen ATP American fans and so to me, the result of the day, something that you and I had talked about a little bit previously, we said this player was certainly capable of doing big-time damage on this surface at this Wimbledon, Riley Opelka, with the result of the day on the men's side, taking out number 22 seed Stan Wawrinka, 7-5, Matt, let's start here. The biggest thing off the takeaway right away, no tiebreakers played in this match, yet Riley Opelka still gets the W. How impressive is that? Yeah. Oh, it's super impressive. I mean, I was going to bring that up as well. I cannot believe that there wasn't one single tiebreaker played in this match. I mean, I just, I, that, that is astounding to me. And of course, in the fifth set, they, they didn't play a tiebreaker. So that doesn't really count. But even in the first four sets, I, I thought for sure, a hundred percent, we were going to at least see one, if not multiple tiebreakers. But the sets just didn't really, it just didn't go that way. I mean, guys, you know, took advantage of their opportunities. Riley in the first, Stan in the second. It kind of went back and forth. Uh, but for me, Alex, really, I was just impressed with the way that, that Opelka was able to bounce back after dropping that third set. I mean, I, I could tell he wasn't really playing his best tennis in those first three sets. And he found a way to, to crank his game up, man. His first serve percentage went up. He started making a lot more serves, and that really put a lot more pressure on Stan because in those first couple of sets, 
Stan was able to poke some returns back and get in some points, and that really helped him. And, and Riley was just able to juice it up and, and crank out some big ones. So I think that was huge. But, I, I mean, overall, just mentally, I mean, to stay in that match, we know, we know Stan is – you know, as solid as they come mentally. I mean, the guy's won three slams. He always plays well in big matches, in close matches. So for Riley, I mean, this is this is huge, man. I mean, it's the best result he's had in a major, right? Yeah, and to knock this out of the way real quick on the Stan Wawrinka side, uh, you mentioned his obviously known for his success winning those three majors, but he is only 30-30 and 30 career on grass. So, you know, Wimbledon has never been the place where he has really broken out. I think the best he's done fourth round, uh, maybe made a quarterfinal. I'll check that in a little bit. Yeah, that's uh, so, so, you know, if there's any seed you want to draw, it's Stan Wawrinka on grass. And I say that, you know, not to say that Stan 8-6 match, and we'll talk about it in a little bit total points uh stan or i guess we can talk about it now stan ends up winning 156 point to riley's 151 so i'm not trying to say stan didn't you know couldn't have won this match but again this is the guy you want to play if you're riley because of the type of difficulty grass gives a guy like stan with his big ground strokes but that's all i really have to say about well i guess he also, I guess on the standpoint, real quick, just knock that out of the way. I also thought he played a little bit too passively. I thought he kept waiting for Opelka to miss. And look, Opelka on the day, 59 winners against 38 unforced errors. 38 unforced errors isn't great. But when you're hitting 59 winners, you know, Stan kept waiting for Riley to make the error. And more times than not, Riley didn't. And that gets me to the transition about Riley Opelka. Because even before you get into his performance in today's match, if you look at Riley and just the physical transformation he's had over the past maybe two years, I guess, three years, I mean, this is a guy, you look at the Kevin Andersons, the Marin Ciliches, uh, Isner's a little bit more filled out, but Ivo Karlovic's, these guys are tall, but they're incredibly thin. Riley is, what, 21, maybe now 22 years old, and this is a seven-foot man. That is the thing that stuck out to me right away, is he looks built and physically ready. And you could tell throughout his performance that sort of physicality, it benefited him. He could move side to side a little bit because Stan wasn't really trying to whip the ball. Stan gave him a little bit more time because he was anticipating an error. And the uh, the obvious big thing, Riley's ground strokes today, I just... Again, it's so lazy to just compare him to Isner and say seven-foot American serve bot. But you can't, I mean, while you can obviously compare the serve because that's going to be a dominant feature of Riley's game for for the foreseeable future, the weapons he had on display, he could move a little bit, hit on the run a little bit better. He wasn't just going down the line. He was mixing up directions. I was blown away. Yeah, no, I mean, he's got, it, really, when you look at John Isner, I mean, he's so, other than the serve, he really is so limited. I mean, Riley beats him out, I think, in the movement category for sure. And just in the ground stroke category as well. I mean, he has better ground strokes. If you're playing a baseline game and we take serves out of it, I want Opelka over Isner. I mean, there's no question about that. And yeah, no, I mean, you mentioned the point about his physicality and everything. I agree. I mean, I think, you know, he's still so young. That's only going to improve. I mean, I think he can even, you know, develop a little bit more physically, which will help in the years ahead. Well, 
if you don't mind me just on that point, I don't think it's physically because you worry. You don't want a guy like that to ever get too bulky. But to your point, I agree. The footwork, right? Like if that gets better, a guy with those tools, look out. Yeah, he's got a lot of room for improvement in his game. I mean, footwork. I mean, I think his second serve can get a lot better. You know, we always talk about his serve. Completely agree. His first serve is massive, but I think his second serve has a lot of room for improvement. And once he, I mean, once he he improves on those things. Yeah, look, this is a guy that people have talked about as as a top 10 player, right? So, I mean, if John Isner can do it, why can't Riley Opelka? And look, this is the Riley Love Fest, if you guys can't tell, but you're looking at what he did, 23 aces against two double faults, make 71% of his first serves, win 72% of those points, 66% of uh, his second serve points, fights off 12, uh, 10 of the 12 break points he faces, holding Warinka to 2 of 12, gets 3 breaks, breaks of his own on 10 chances, and that leads me to another point, Riley as a returner, I mean, Stan kind of wanted to make the choice to go into Riley's body early on, and the thing is... Riley was just perfectly content getting a bit, you know, a good cut on the ball, blocking it back with good pace, even if it was in the center of the court, because he trusted himself physically to get to and do something with that next ball. And then at the same time, you know, for Stan, yes, he wins 82% of his first serve points, 63% of his second serve points. But there were moments when you could tell, you know, Riley in the break, he gets in the first set, you know, Stan throws in an unforced error and then a double fault. And then right, uh, you know, two returns in the row, Riley jumps on them and takes them early. So he's got that tool in his toolbox as well. Again, I I guess to leave it here, you know, I've been high on Riley. I have him in a tier above any of the other American next-gen males. I just think in terms of his upside, you know, he's not quite with Zverev, F.A., and Tsitsipas just because of the consistency and just the all-around fluidity those guys have shown. But he is my number one American male in terms of upside because, again, on this surface, you can already see what a dominant Riley Opelka performance could look like over a two-week span where he's just serving. You know, we saw it with Isner last year making the semifinals. We talked about Riley being a better version of that. That's why I would say his upside, the highest of any American next-gen uh next-gen player prospect is the word I was looking for. And that's with all due respect to Fritz, who's looked great, just won a grass title. Tiafo makes quarterfinals Australian Open. But when Opelka could, you know, the way Opelka could dominate, I don't think any other American male has that uh, has that feature of their game. Yeah, I, look, I mean, I, I love his upside. I, I don't know if I'm willing to go all, all the way there and, and put him number one ahead of everybody else. I mean, it's close, right? It's close. I just, in my, I guess in my head, I've never really had him all the way up at the top. But I, I don't know. That's not to say that he can't get there because, I mean, like like we've talked about, I mean, he has the ability to do it. He very well could be at the end of the day, you know, or at the end of their careers. He could have the best career out of all those guys. But I just want to get back to the match for one second here and then I'll be done with this one. But there were a couple points from Stan in those fourth and fifth sets. I don't know if you saw these, Alex, but just some really head-scratching errors from Stan. Like, trying to slice, you know, off his backhand side when we know that his, his top spin is so good. And, you know, trying to hit, like, some kind of funky drop shot type thing. And just weird errors that were kind of coming off his racket that we didn't really see in those first two or three sets. That started to creep in a little bit more in the fourth and fifth. I, I don't know. I just, I, I was scratching my head just a little bit there because there were points where it was like, Stan, 
what what are you doing, man? That was a brain fart. Like, come on. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, he I think he was taken a little bit by surprise at how well Riley was able to bounce back after dropping the third and to come back and elevate his game the way that he did. You know, I, I'm not 100% sure that Stan was ready for all that. I, I completely agree with you. That gets back to what I said earlier. He played passive, yeah. 44 winners, 30 unforced errors. That sounds great, but over a five-set match, that's not nearly enough from Stan. That's not how Stan Wawrinka plays winning tennis. He waited for Opelka to make the error, and again, to Riley's credit, he did not today. You know, Opelka at the net 72 times in this match, wins 43 of those points. That sort of confidence, by the way, and early John Isner did not do that sort of thing. Wawrinka, 14 of 20. 20 is not enough times to be at the net. Like, you can't be worried about Riley. And again, that's maybe a testament to Riley moving in all of the time. But Wawrinka should have been more aggressive. Yeah. I, I agree with that point. But, you know, uh, I mean, any other final thoughts on this match? Or I think, uh, are you ready to rock and roll? I, I think that's it, man. I'm just, I'm pumped. It was a big-time result. Um, you know, I, I had it on upset alert, but I wasn't, I wasn't completely convinced that it was actually going to happen. So for Riley, I mean, to break through like this, have his best result at a slam— I mean, let's let's see what he can do. And we will talk more about what we think Riley can do later on when we're previewing uh, our day four, day five thoughts. But another young American who has taken this tournament by storm, someone American tennis fans is, are certainly going to be familiar with and, you know, being fans of for the next, it looks like 10, 15 years, young American Corey Coco Goff, who comes out after her first round win over Venus Williams and puts on maybe even a more dominant display today in her in her 6-3-6-3 win over Magdalena Ryburakova, who I should mention is a 20 was a 2017 semifinalist in the singles at Wimbledon. But for the rest of her career is a collective three and eleven at the event. I mean, not to take away from the performance because simply put, Matt, Goff was she was unstoppable today. There's nothing that wasn't working. Yeah. I, again, I mean this is this was the, the ladies match today that I was I was the most excited about. And and this is why. I mean look, this is this is really all that needs to be said. I mean, these are the main takeaways that I had. She wins 28 of 33 first serve points, Nuts. 85%. Nuts. I mean, for a 15-year-old, that's that's Elite. that is beautiful. That's beautiful. I mean, that is just music to my ears right there. That's as good as it can get. And then 10 unforced errors. Again, she had what eight against Venus Williams, and now 10 today. That's 18 in her last two matches combined. I, I don't know, man. I mean, it's it, she's she's got it all. I mean, when she's serving that well. She moves so well. Her groundies are great. I mean, she doesn't make errors. She plays with enough margin in her game when she needs to. It's not like she's trying to haul off and slam every ball. I mean, she's patient when she needs to get into rallies. And then, of course, mentally. I mean, remember, she's 15. Like, I can't even remember what I was doing at 15. But it definitely <laughs> wasn't playing Wimbledon the way that she is. So, yeah, man, just, I mean, super impressed again. I, I, I'm loving this. Yeah, you mentioned the fact that hangs over all this. This girl is 15 years old, and she's putting together comprehensive, dominating performance from all aspects of the court. It felt like, you know, for Rybrakova, she really could not find a way to hurt Goff. She tried to throw in drop shots. She tried moving forward and had a little bit of success moving forward. She tried to play a lot of backhand slices to Goff, who then would be happy going down the line heavy to the Rybrakova forehand, eventually getting herself a shorter ball that she could knock off. Uh, I mean, 
for Goff, her approach shot, you know, she may have only gone 6 of 10 at the net, but her approach shots really just did so much damage, forced Rybrakova into errors. And then a big number for me, we, you talked about that serve. For Goff, on her first serve, she's averaging 110 miles per hour, topping off at 117. But on that second serve, she's at 92 miles per hour to Rybrakova, who, again, the much uh, more... I guess, a veteran presence in this match, her 84 miles per hour, just the physical tools, the fact that Goff seems to really embrace this Wimbledon moment. She's talked in her press conferences, you know, regardless of the of the opponent, she's not afraid. And then again, she made 10 errors in a two-set Wimbledon second round match yeah. at age 15. 10 unforced <laughs> errors. That's stunning. Yeah, man. I mean, it's just the whole thing is like, there's not enough we can say about her, how impressive it is. I mean, Ryber, if, if we're looking at it from Rybarakova's perspective, I mean, she didn't sniff a break point, man. Like, it's crazy. What, like, what, what are you going to do? What, what, what was she going to do? I, I just, I, I don't know. It's not even like we can really, you know, diminish her performance at all. It was just like she, she was not going to win today. Well, I think for Goff, if you're looking at ways to try and pick her apart, you could, again, argue the backswing on the forehand can be a little bit big. Uh, so I mean, but she doesn't have, you know, eyes bigger than her head. Like, she's very disciplined, very focused. She's another player, makes a ton of returns, just gets them back into the center of the court. She likes to scrap around, so I suppose she'll give the net to an opponent. You know, a Pliskova, I feel like, could have a little bit more success. Now, of course, Pliskova's a top 10 player, maybe the number one uh, contender to win this tournament. So that's really setting a high bar. But I just... I don't know how you attack Goff, especially if she's just going to stay this steady throughout the course of it. You know, you'd expect the young player to have maybe a, a, a gap in focus, like I just did there, to stutter through some point of the match, and yet <laughs> this girl never does. Yeah, I know, man. That's why it's like, I mean, even for me, just whatever happens from this point on, I don't care. I mean, this is just what I've seen is all I've needed to see. And she could lose six one six two in the next round, and that's you know, my my perspective won't change one bit. I mean, I've seen what I've needed to see out of her. Hopefully, we get some more. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Well, someone who I was afraid we weren't going to get to see any more of, who then you know she was down a set and three zero in her match, but came back and you know, ended up taking the win, getting another big upset on the day. And I should say on the WTA side, all of the upsets seem to involve American women today. Some in good ways, you know, in this instance, others in bad that we'll talk about a little bit. But starting with the good, former UVA and NCAA singles champion, Danielle, uh, UVA women's tennis player and NCAA singles champion, Danielle Collins. A 4-6-6-4-6-3 winner today over Anastasia Sevastova, the number 12 seed. As I mentioned, she found herself down 6-4-3-0. Uh, it looked as though, you know, all hope had been lost. And then she just came out firing, Matt. And it speaks to the fact that, you know, in this match, one of the biggest numbers I looked to, 13 breaks in total. You know, 13 breaks in, what, a 29-game match? They're breaking every other time, essentially. It came down to who could play the first strike tennis. And that's where, once again, the discipline on Danielle Collins is returned. Sometimes she slaps him a little bit into the net. But the way she can be so aggressive, just an elite characteristic. Yeah, I mean, her game really is... Uh, more than a lot of players on the WTA tour is just very hot and cold. I mean, she's streaky when she's on, she is really on. And, and I've also seen her where she is off and it is not pretty. 
So, I mean, she got down and yeah, I mean, at that point we were like, there, you know, she can't come back in this, but she flipped the switch, man. And once she gets rolling, <laughs> I mean, she is really tough to stop. And, and that's what we saw. I mean, I like, Sevastova is a tricky opponent. I mean, there's no question about it. I like her game on grass. She mixes in slices. I mean, she's, she's definitely one of the more unconventional, you know, she's not just going to always sit back at the baseline and just hit top spin ground strokes over and over again. So I think she's, she's a tricky opponent, especially for somebody like Collins and, and, you know, just mentally to hang in there after being down like that. Yeah. Super impressive. I mean, you take out the 12 seed and again, like I said, she just needs, <laughs> she just needs to find her game to where she just keeps it rolling because I mean, it can go, it can go off a little bit. I mean, we we've seen that a lot with her. So I just, I hope she can, she can stay hot because I mean, if she can, she can make a deep run. I just love the fact you look at this match. Uh, yes, both players win 66 and 60 or make 66 and 64% of their first serves respectively. But for Collins, she wins 54% of her first serve points, 53% of her second serve points. For Sevastova, she wins 50% of her first serve points, 55% of her second serve points. That's hilarious. That's weird. Uh, again, Collins, 7 of 11 on break points. Sevastova, 6 of 14. Uh, but for me, the numbers that stick out, Collins, 33 winners against 38 unforced errors. Sevastova, only 19 winners against 28 unforced errors. The other thing, and again, big shout out to the Wimbledon website for having these available for us. Distance per point, Collins goes 46.4 feet per point, Sevastova 51.2. To me, that sort of shows the way Collins was the aggressor, particularly later on in the match. Sevastova was the one playing a little bit more defense, having to do the scattering side to side. She'd throw in backhand slices that Collins would jump on. And the willingness to show that sort of aggressor to sort of show that aggression, to go out swinging, be willing to lose on, you know, the will of your own racket. That sort of confidence is what allowed Danielle Collins to come back from that 3-0 deficit in the second. And it sort of speaks to the fact, you know, now that she's gotten a couple of grand slams under her belt, we saw the semifinal appearance earlier this year in the Australian Open, she is comfortable going down swinging. And that sort of confidence is so valuable at the grand slams. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we saw her make that deep run. That's why I said I, I think she she has the ability to do it, especially if her shots are falling. I mean, she she possesses a lot of power in her game. And yeah, Sevstova, I mean, she's one of those opponents, not the biggest physically. She's going to give you opportunities to be aggressive. And if you take those and execute, you can beat her. And, and that's what Collins did is it just, it came a little bit late. You know, she didn't start out that way, but I mean, Hey, that's why there's no, uh, there's no, there's no clock in tennis, man. I mean, you're out there as long as it takes. So yeah, big win. Well, it's very interesting that you mentioned she was able to find her range because the way I'm going to transition to talking about some of the other matches, one player who was not able to find her range, and this gets into our upsets on the day, uh, Polona Hercog able to take out number 17 seed Madison Keys 6-2-6-4. Keys go down an early break in the second set and must have had seven, eight break chances throughout the course of the set as it went on. Fought off a couple of break points against her on her own, but just could never find her range against Hercog, who was just throwing so much junk Madison's way. Slices to the backhand, slices to the forehand, short angles, just junk balls to get Madison out of rhythm. And in the end, that was enough for uh, Hercog to get by. Yeah, I, I don't... I, I don't like it, man. 
I, I just <laughs> I don't like it. I this is a match that Madison Keys should win. Yeah. I'm just telling yeah. you. I mean, she should. And and Hercog, I know she's throwing those those junk and it's just God. Madison Keys can be frustrating at mm-hmm. times because I mean, similar to Collins, she just she plays kind of one way. I mean, it's it's just it's my way or the highway, and she's gonna go down swinging, which can be it can be good at times. But I just I would I would really like to see her make an effort to just be able to make some adjustments, you know, in her game. I I don't know. It's just it's not really what she does. I mean, she's gotten to this point in, in her career playing the way that she has. It's just. At, at this stage against an opponent like that, I I really wanted her to win. I mean, that's a match I feel like she should win, and, you know, it is what it is. Uh, she's the type of player who swings through any problems she's having. She's going yeah. to hit through anyone, and today she just could not find the range. She I, I don't want to say she wasn't willing to be patient, but she definitely pressed in instances when she should not have. And, yeah, Herkag, you know, throwing enough junk her way, got the job done. But you talk about being disappointed. To me, compounding the disappointment earlier this week on the mini break when we talked to tennis with an accent, Matt Zemek, uh, you know, I we talked about I could, saw a potential Kennan Keys semifinal on that portion of the draw. And, you know, Diana Yastremka said, nope, Alex, that's not happening this time, taking out Sophia Kennan 7-5-4-6-6-3 in what really was a tremendous match not to take anything away from Kennan, but... Yeah, your Stremka today just simply too good. Yeah, she was a little too good. I mean, this this was definitely a good match overall. I mean, I didn't I didn't have as many issues with this one as I did with the Keys match, but again, Kennan, I mean, we're looking we you know, I, I guess our expectations with her are are starting to rise. I mean, at least for me, I'm I'm starting to expect, you know, more out of her. She's won multiple titles now on the WTA tour. She's shown that she can really compete week in, week out. So, I mean, that next step is just, you know, showing it at the majors. And this was a match that I'm, I'm sure she felt like she, she could win. So it, it's tough, but you know, at, at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world. I mean, she's still young. Uh, there's a lot of tennis left ahead. So I, I think she'll be all right. Yeah, overall for her, definitely a winning year so far in 2019. But just given that she had won a warm-up title on the grass, I'm sure the way her draw had opened out with Naomi Osaka going down on day one the way she did, not happy about going down in the second round. But for Sophia, I'm sure we will see more of her throughout the long American hardcourt summer. The only upset on the men's side other than Opelka over Stan, number 30 seed Kyle Edmund goes up two sets to love on Fernando Verdasco, 6-4, 6-4, only to see Verdasco storm back and win the next three sets, 7-6-6-3-6-4. It did look like Edmund tweaked his leg a little bit in that fourth set, but still, you know, Matt, what did you see in this match that allowed Verdasco to come back and take it? Yeah, I mean, I I want to speculate. I mean, I don't know how bad the injury really was. There was definitely an injury. There's no question about it. I mean, it was obvious. We saw that, but I don't know to what degree that really you know, hampered Kyle Edmund. I mean, what do you think? Do you think that was just that match over at that point? Or I mean, it's just so unfortunate because you continue to see there's a certain threshold of player that if you can inflict enough damage on Kyle Edmund's backhand, even though it's gotten better, he's just very beatable. And look, Fernando Verdasco's a lefty who wants to be aggressive now. Grass, not necessarily the best surface for his huge ground strokes in my mind, but still, yeah, a banged up Edmund who can't really move to his left. 
I mean, that's just going to start trouble right, right off the big, right off the get go. And yeah, I, I he should have closed this one out in three. I thought that tiebreaker was right there for him. And you know, just in the end, Verdasco plays a little, you know, gets the gets the little mini break to secure the the tiebreak, but. I don't know if I'm disappointed. I just I really thought the way Kyle Edmund played so well in his first round against Munar just really dictated from point one to the last point. I thought he was going to win this one, and I am a little bit upset. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely fair. I mean, I knew, I think I said yesterday on the pod that um, this was one of the matches that had the potential to go five. I mean, I, I thought it was going to be a super close match. I didn't, I didn't know that it would really go down the way that it did. Obviously I wasn't expecting an injury or anything like that, but I mean, Verdesco is just tough, man. I mean, this is a guy that shows up every single week. I swear he plays however many weeks there are in the <laughs> ATP season. He plays that many weeks. Like this guy does not take a week off. He just shows up every tournament. He doesn't always do well. I mean, he'll, he'll make some early exits, but the guy just knows knows what it takes. He's played so many slams. He's played so many events in his career that if he sees an injury like that, I mean, he's he's going to capitalize. He's good enough to do it. You mentioned the lefty factor going into the Edmund backhand. I agree. Yeah, it's just it's one of those things where Edmund was playing well and had a chance to close it out. Didn't do it. And, you know, unfortunately the the injury happens and, and he goes down so I, I i think the fans are going to be disappointed more than anything because they like us they probably sensed that edmund was really starting to play pretty well with his first round performance and then really within the first couple of sets today as well so you know he had a chance to to do some damage and you know that's obviously that's done now we haven't done one of these yet so i get to do a little bit of a tangent right here Quick, quick, just two guesses from you, Matt. Given, and I'll give you some context, Verdasco, born 1983, has been a pro now, I believe, since, what, 2001? Um, maybe, oh, no, not 2001. That math's not right. Oh, maybe it is 2001. Nope, since 2003. But still, that's, you know, his 16th year now on tour. Guess how much prize money he's won, and guess where he places in the all-time leaderboard in terms of earnings. That is a, that's a great question, man. I mean, I'm interested... I'm interested to hear the answers to this. Um, career prize money. Good Lord. Um, I'll tell you this. The best he's done at each of the majors. Semifinals once at Australia. Quarterfinals of Wimbledon once. U.S. Open twice. And he's made the fourth round of the French seven times. So with that added context as well. Ooh. I'm going to say his his prize money has got to be north of $10 million. Correct. Okay. Is that, I mean, is it closer or is it like way past that? No, you're in the ballpark. You're in the range. Okay. Um, Let's let's go with. I'll give you another piece here. Seven career titles. Career high ranking number seven. Good enough guess that you're in two other clues. Career prize money, um, 13.8 million. You got one of the digits, right? 16.87. Wow. Wow. Pretty good. Where does that have him on the all-time earnings? Just take a stab. It's got to be what? Top 15? Uh, a little bit. Number 27 all-time. Still. Okay. Not too big. You okay. talk about him. This really is a guy who, you yeah. know, he's like, you know, 45 weeks of the year. Let me find a tournament to play because give me that money. 
That's true. I mean, either that or, I mean, I just, he, he obviously has a love for the game. I mean, the guy, he could have easily hung it up years ago, but I mean, to, to show up as much as he does, I mean, I, I think he just loves the tour in general, just the entire, just the grind. I mean, the travel and, you know, showing up at all these tournaments and, and traveling around the world, playing different guys, all these young guys that he has to play these days. I mean, I think he just, I think he enjoys it all. So, I mean, for, for that perspective, you know, I, I give the guy credit, man. I, I mean, cause it's tough. Six, 16. Yeah. 16 years on tour again, seven ATP titles, career high. Number seven made a semifinal at the French open in doubles, won the tour finals in 2013 in doubles, a three time Davis cup champion. Yeah. Hall of Famer? Ooh. Hall of Famer? Ah. Uh, 27th in all-time yeah, earnings. I know there's I, more than 27 men yeah, in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, there are, but I no, I can't go there, man, because I mean, we've t- Yeah. He's probably right around the cutoff point where you probably got to be a little bit better than him. Yeah. I mean, I, I Although 7's good. Career high 7 in singles and 8 in doubles. Interesting. Okay, but then if I mean, if he's in then Ferrer has to be in. I mean, there- uh, Ferrer's a debate. That's funny. Like, I don't know how you can even debate David Ferrer not being in. Oh, I think like, I think it. I think it's a debate. I really do. Oh, uh, all right. Well, then, if he's a debate, you're right. Fernando Verdasco, no chance. And I don't right. think he'll get in. Like, I I would agree with you. I just think it's interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but all right. With that being said, speaking of interesting, let's run through the rest of today's results. Uh, let's start with the women because, again, a lot of seeds did well today. That was my big takeaway today. They kind of set balance to the force. The people were like, oh, so many upsets. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. It was a, a little bit the opposite of the first round, wasn't it? Just a little yeah. bit. Well, it was funny because I was looking today and there were only two, t- you know, three top ten seeds. I was like, oh, that can't be right. Like, I only have the one. At one point, like, I didn't have a, t- a seed above number ten on my results. I was like, well, that can't, you know, I have my outlines like that. That doesn't seem right. But then I remember, oh, yeah, no Zverev, no Tsitsipas. We're, uh, we're dealing with a non-full deck. But very good results today. Let's start with the women. Number three seed, Carolina Pliskova, straight side winner over Monica Puig. Halep wins in three over Bruzner Rescue. Svitolina gets by Gasparian, 5-7, 6-5. Retirement due to injury, we should say. Svitolina is so graceful, always on the other side, trying to be as accommodating to the player as uh, as possible. You just love to see that sort of sportsmanship out of there. But all right, of those th- top ten seeds, Maddie, who impressed you the most today? Probably Pliskova, man. I mean, she just she, she's looking in really good form. She's she's pretty dominant right now. And I had a feeling that match with Puig, Jamie and I talked about that last night. He thought that it was going to be a good one. I mean, it was one of his matches to watch. And, you know, I just... Yeah, I had a feeling that Pliskova was was going to be able to to handle Puig pretty well, and I mean she did. She's she's definitely a threat to win the whole thing. I mean, there's no question about it. I would argue she's probably the front runner. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely not far fetched. You know, I, I I would I don't know if I com- if I'd agree. I'd, I'd have to take a look at some things, but I mean, yeah, no, I can I can totally see why you'd say that for sure. Right now in Vegas, I'm looking this up. Women's singles odds. Come on, give it to me. Ooh, Pliskova Barty tied right now in the favorite spot, plus 400. Guess who's third? This is hilarious. <laughs> is it, uh, oh man, not, <laughs> um, not Serena. Well, she's tied, but it's even better. She's tied with Coco Goff. 
Wow. No That's way. Unbelievable. Coco Goff above Benchich, above Anisimova, Azarenka, all of these players. I mean, Coco Goff tied for third right now. Wozniacki? What about Kvitova? No, again, it goes Barty and Pliskova plus 400, Goff and Serena plus 700, Kerber plus 11, Kvitova plus 1,200. Wow. That is <laughs> people I, okay we rant we raved about coco golf right in fairness to vegas i did say earlier on this podcast it would take a carolina pliskova type of level of tennis to hurt coco golf well that's true so i guess they just don't want to get hurt by the action i'm sure everyone saw these first two rounds was like i'm betting her now like it's you could probably get her at the beginning at like 250 to one and now they're yeah. you know huge correction the other way still that is that is a juicy sight. I don't know how that – what were we talking about before? Oh, yeah, the top 10 seeds. Yeah, I agree with you. Pliskova is certainly one of the top threats to win this tournament. Um, she's looked as good as any player on the women's side of the draw. But speaking of which, other players who looked great today, number 14 seed, Caroline Wozniacki, who has had a rough 2019. She gets a straight set win over Kudermatova. Kontave over Watson, 5-1. and one. Martich comes back from a set down to beat Potapova, 3-6, 6-3, 6 C over Flipkin, 6-3, and 6-3. And Kari over Buzkova, four and one of those seeds, Matt. Any of them uh, scream out to you as title contender? Uh, not really. I mean, Wozniacki would be at the top of my list just because of her pedigree. I mean, out of all those that you just mentioned, I mean, I, I feel like she could maybe put a run together. I'm not expecting it. I'm not counting on it. But, I mean, she's looked pretty good so far through these first couple of rounds. So I, I do have to say I've been impressed with her thus far. And, you know, I don't know. She's married now, I think. So, yeah. you know, maybe maybe that has something to do with it. No, I mean, I believe she was diagnosed with arthritis earlier in this year. And, you know, that's always obviously going to be so hard to play tennis with. Uh, but I just... I don't know, you know, over the two weeks, obviously you get the huge break with Wimbledon with the Sunday off and then Manic Monday, and now she'll get a, you know, she wins on what she'll play Thursday, or no, she'll play Friday, and then she'll get two days off, I suppose, so that certainly bodes well for her scheduling-wise, but I don't know if I see a fastball out of her to compete with, Yeah, you know, the Pliskovas or just... All of these players who are playing, you know, the the Kvitovas, the, just all these things, the Coco Goffs, apparently. Barty. All these players who are playing. Yeah, Barty. Oh, that, I can't believe I forgot to say Ashley Barty. Exactly. Who are just have the weapons they do right now. It would be very tough for Wozniacki. Um, but another player, unseated, who certainly looked great today, Victoria Azarenka, 2-0 and over Alia Tomjanovic. I mean, sneaky contender. Yeah, well, she always is, right? I mean, anytime she's, it seems like she's always unseated in these. She's things. healthy. Now, it's about being healthy. It is about being healthy, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know when she's gonna get a ranking up. I mean, she's. It seems like she's been winning a fair amount of matches recently. I, I guess so. I mean, I, I'm thinking she's gonna be seated, you know, at one of these slams again, not before too long. But yeah, no, I mean, she's always. You know, she's one of those players that you kind of put an asterisk by in the draw because, you know, as an unseated player, that's we, we know that when she's healthy and playing well, that's not really that's not really the case. Yeah, I agree with you. And she's going to be someone certainly to monitor uh, throughout the course of this first week as we head into this first weekend. Uh, just to wrap up the women, Gulbich over Putin, Seva, 4-6. and six. Zhang over Wickmeyer, 3-2. and two. And Mikova over Madison Brangle, 6-3, six, 6-4. Six, now to transition over to the men. Again, the seeds today beyond Edmund, beyond Wabrinka, performing pretty well given what we've seen earlier in the tournament. Uh, Novak Djokovic continues his excellent form, a 6-3, 6-2, 
2-6-2 winner over Dennis Kudla. I mean, I love Dennis. I love his game on grass, but ugh, Djokovic just looks phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, what? There's really nothing not else that to much. say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's just he, he's a machine he's man. It's, he's he's the Joker, and and that's it's a brutal match for for Kudla to have to play him. But well, you know, I mean, it's second round. You know, he he won a match, so you know, he, he did what he he did what he had to do. And when you run into Novak, you you know, that's that's kind of what you get. One of the side conversations of this Wimbledon, and you know, sometimes tennis Twitter is, we're all well aware, can get me pretty angry, but it's been about how slow these courts are playing. And it is remarkable to see Novak Djokovic play this sort of baseline tennis on a grass surface, but the way he's able to change direction, just the way he's, you know, no shot to him is unavailable at any point. So it just, I think John McEnroe was on the call of this match and he just, he framed it so perfectly. You feel like you're always on the run. You're always rushed against Djokovic. You're like, oh God, what am I, what's going to give me next? What's he do? What's he going to do to me next? And just when he has this form, it's just such a pleasure to see him play. Yeah. I mean, at this point, man, I, I'm I am expecting him to be in the finals. There's no question about it. With what I've seen huh. through his first two rounds, I, I I'm I mean, I, I don't bet, but if, well, if hold I did, that thought, hold that thought because we'll talk about it a little later, and you know the game we're gonna play. Fair uh, enough. So a little tease for you listeners to keep on listening. Uh, but getting through the rest of these results, number four seed Kevin Anderson coming back from injury gets a big win over Bear in the first round, follows it up here with a 6-4, 6-7, 6-1, over Tip Sarovich. Anderson hasn't looked great, but he's, you know, he's you can certainly see why this guy was a finalist here last year, how difficult it is to be to break his serve three times, you know, once a set over the course of three of a five match. He played a little passive today down the stretch to close that out against Tip Sarovich, kept a lot of balls in the center third of the court. But again, with his weapons, his serve, good luck beating him on this surface. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, I, I don't think he's played, you know, he, he would probably tell us that he hasn't played phenomenal tennis so far. But I mean, the deeper he goes, I just, I feel like the bigger threat he becomes with yeah. those weapons. So yeah, the longer he hangs around, that's, you know, he can definitely do some damage. Completely agree with you. Well, then we'll run through the rest of these because, again, I have some questions on these guys in general, but we can save them for the end. Kachnov over Feliciano Lopez, 4664-7564. Medvedev over Alexei Paparin, 67616464. Russian tennis is back, man. Andre Rublev tomorrow. These two guys now firmly in the top 10 uh, of the live rankings based on the results here. Really excited to see them continue to play. Now we turn to the Canadian duo Milos Raonic, number 15 seed over Hassa in straights. FAOA over young Frenchman Courtney Moutet, 6346-6462. So a good day to be a Canadian tennis fan. I believe they had their Canada Day a few uh, days ago. So a little late celebration, but good for them. Goffin, the 21 seed uh, over Jeremy Chardy in straights. RBA over Darcis in straights. Guido Pea, a five-set winner over Seppi. Benoit Pera, recipient of a walkover in the third set after winning the first two over Miomir Kasmenovic. Again, of all of those seeded guys, really really speaks to the fact that, it, and we've talked about all of the seeding stuff earlier, seeds seem to be holding form, uh, to form now. They, they really seem to have found their rhythm. Yeah, something about the second round, man. I mean, we saw some some decent upsets there on that first the, the first couple days, I guess, you know, in the first round. And yeah, the second round, it's the playing field has now leveled out just a bit. And, and we're kind of seeing the usual suspects. A lot of the guys that we thought we would see, they're they're make their way through the draw. So 
Um, you know, I like that personally. I mean, I want these are the guys that I want to see as we go deeper in the tournament. I think it's more exciting. I mean, that's why I was upset when Zverev and Sitsipas lost on day one because you know those are guys that I get excited about the deeper they go in the tournament. So yeah, no, this uh, to me this is all all good stuff. Yeah, it's gearing up to be a really fun Wimbledon, as we've mentioned. Well, you talked about those upsets from earlier in the tournament. Two guys following up on upsets, Thomas Fabiano, a five-set winner over Ilo Karlovich. Yuri Vesely, a fourth-round appearance here last year, continues his streak of success at Wimbledon, knocking out Pablo Cuevas in four sets. Uh I guess which players, it feels like to me, both of these guys, and Fabiano, I believe, made a third round here last year as well. Both of these guys, they just, they have a rhythm on grass tennis. It's not as though it's been back-to-back fluke wins in my appearance. They both deserve to be where they are in this third round. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, I I, I can't disagree. Fabiano, obviously, when I, when I first saw the draw. What a shot I mean, maker. I, he, he is. He's small, but I mean, he can make shots. He scampers around pretty well. Um, you know, I just I still thought there there was no way that he was going to beat Sitsipas, um, but obviously he was able to do that. And then yeah, Doctor Evo, <laughs> you, you kind of know what you're getting with him. So mm-hmm. I mean, if you can if you can weather that storm a little bit, which which Fabiano did, yeah, here he is in the third round. I mean, and he and he had a good result um, at Eastbourne coming into Wimbledon. So you know he he's been in pretty good form on the grass. This isn't I I want to say it's just an enormous shock, but it's still slightly surprising to me um, that he's in the third round. I mean, I I definitely didn't have him pegged there. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Again, good for him. Shot maker. He's done what he's had to do. Clearly found success on the surface, but we'll end real quick. Two next-gen guys, Ugo Umbert, a winner in straight sets over Marcel Granollers. Our guy, Hubie Hercatch, our guy, my guy, Hubie Hercatch, a four-set winner over Leonardo Mayer, and that, you know, kind of wraps up all of those events. So any any final thoughts on the day? Are you ready to preview tomorrow's stuff? Let's do it, man. All right, well then, let's get right into it, Matt. The matches on the men's and women's side you will be watching most closely during Independence Day. Well, I, th- <laughs> I think it speaks for itself on the men's side, man. I mean, there is just one match that and I'm just I'm ready for right now I wish it was on right now and that's obviously Nick Kyrgios Rafa Nadal I mean I'm hoping for an epic five setter I want both guys to come out and play their absolute best tennis I hope Nick Kyrgios is focused I hope he wants to win because otherwise it's going to be a dud of a match and and that will I'll be upset so I but I don't think that's going to happen I mean I think he's it's look it's Rafa he he tends to play well against the top guys it's Wimbledon. He's beaten Rafa at Wimbledon in the past. I think this one could be really good, man. I really do. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm going with Rafa. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not going to pick Nick Kyrgios here. I, I could come back to eat those words. Um, it would shock me because, you know, obviously he's got a 3-3 three and three record head-to-head. But uh, give me Rafa, man. You mentioned the fact, Kyrgios, obviously his breakthrough moment earlier in his career, beating Rafa in four here at the round of 16. Uh, Now, that's the only time they've played at a major event, but they did, as we mentioned, played earlier this year. Kyrgios beats uh, Rafa in the round of 16 in Acapulco, 3-6, 7-6, 7-6. Obviously, there was a lot of drama after that match, and all of that's been covered. You mentioned if both guys played their best tennis, and on this surface, given, you know, 
how valuable the serve plus one is. You'd have to argue if Kyrgios plays his best, he's probably going to win this match, you know, given the conditions, just given the fact that his game so uh, so are so uh, are so well equipped, I suppose, for this surface. Yeah. But I just, I, again, three out of five sets to maintain that sort of focus, the sort of intensity right. it takes to beat Rafa Nadal. If anyone's going to elicit that out of uh, Kyrgios, it's definitely Rafa as an opponent. But it's just, again, you're right. It's it's very difficult to bet against Nadal in this one. Yeah. I mean, that's why I just, I can't, I can't do it. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going with Rafa. I mean, I haven't even really hesitated on that at all. Um but it's it's one of those yeah. things, man. I and mean, look, any curious is like the the one guy. I mean, that can just show up. And if he's lights out, yeah, I mean, he's gonna win. He can do it. I just think three out of five mentally. I I haven't seen it out of him in such a long time that I'm I'm not gonna bank on that for tomorrow. Yeah, that's fair. And look, obviously what Kyrgios does well, disrupt the rhythm. He's going to keep Rafa from just working him cross-court, cross-court down the line with the ground strokes the way Rafa likes to do. Kyrgios will throw in junk to keep you know Rafa off balance, but it's going to take Nick's A game. And again, until you see it, you never know when that's going to come. But beyond that match, the other match on, matches on the men's side you're watching. <sighs> I mean, obviously all of them. I mean, at this stage... <laughs> All right, give me two others, two others. I would say, from an American standpoint, I want to see Sam Querrey against Andre Rublev. Um, You picked that upset last time. Yeah, I'm a big fan of of Rublev. I mean, I always have been. I just, I love the way that he plays. To me, he's just so entertaining. The problem is he's been injured a lot recently. I mean, we just, we haven't seen him Mm -hmm. at his best and so I don't really know what I'm expecting. I mean, I'm I'm going. Give me Sam Query, man. I, I think this guy on grass is, you know, that win over team. I think he's going to be feeling himself. I, I just I think it's a a good chance for him to win again. So I'll pick Sam Query, but I'm I'm kind of hoping that Rublev, you know, maybe plays at a level that we haven't quite seen lately, and that match ends up being you know p- pretty epic. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Again, physically, you have to wonder how Sam's feeling. You know, he knocks, or he makes that final uh, last week in the build-up to this, but then he plays a physical match for Dominic team. Uh, you just have to, you know, as you mentioned, given the health injuries, you wonder if he's going to have his top form. Uh, but yeah, I'll be watching that one. I'll give I, you one more, Gruskin. Well, real quick, let me sneak in my three, and they're all college-themed. Dominic Kopfer, the Tulane player, versus Diego Schwartzman. USC's Stevie Johnson versus Alex Dimenauer, the number 25 seed. I'm all over that. Then, obviously, TCU's Cam Norrie versus number 8 seed Kaney Shikori. Great time to watch college tennis shine on the men's side. But yes, any—, any Oh, and Tennis Sandgren. I forgot to say, Tennessee's finest versus number 20 uh, seed Jill Simone. So a lot of college tennis action. But any I, any others you throw in? Maybe I just stole it from you? No, no, you didn't steal any at all. Those those are good calls with the college tennis. Always always got to give a shout-out to those guys. They're doing well. Um, but no, my, I, I can't forget about my boy Berrettini, man. <laughs> Matteo Berrettini against Marcos Bagdadis. I mean, this could be the last match that Bagdadis plays at Wimbledon. Um, you know, or period at all. So, you know, I'm, I'm picking my boy Berrettini. He's been in really good form. I don't think he's going to lose to Marcos, but you know what? I mean, when you get an inspired Baghdadis, things, that could be, that could be a sneaky good match for tomorrow, man. So I would suggest if you're available 
to either tune in, stream it, however you can, because that one might be good, man. I'm debating, like, going live tomorrow when I get home and just during Nadal Kyrgios, like, periscoping or doing something. Now, I'll do it if you do it with... This is a Westoff problem. We'll ask him later, see if this is possible. So maybe we'll get a little of that action going on tomorrow. But are you ready to flip to the women's side? Yeah, let's do it. All right, I'm going first because the match that I will be watching, maybe above all others tomorrow, my... I would argue, outside of Andy Murray, this player, I like her as much as any player in the tennis world, Taylor Townsend, whose game, the variety, the slice, the angles that she likes to move forward as much as she does, I think it just matches up beautifully on grass. She'll take on number four seed, Kiki Burtons. I've got upset alert, Matt. What do you think? Ooh, I I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go upset alert here. I, I don't think this is upset alert. However, it was – I mean, this was a match that I had on my list um, with the Americans. The other match that I was looking at was Lauren Davis and Angelique Kerr. Um, but, yeah, Burton's Townsend, man, I mean, I, I'm interested. I'm definitely interested. I just – Burton's is good, man. I mean, the four seed, I I don't know. I, I would love upset alert. Uh, if you're feeling it, man – Here's the thing. Burton, so far, she did make the finals and lost to Allison Risk in the Netherlands. In Eastbourne, she made the semifinals and lost to Pliskova. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay, my upset alert's hurting, but I love Taylor Townsend, so I'm locked in on this match. I guess either way, the level of tennis I'm expecting should be high. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, man. I, that was definitely one of the matches I had on my list. The other one, Kerber uh, Davis, you know, another yeah. American. I, it, it's going to be tough. Again, I don't know if I want to go... As far as to say upset alert here, I mean... No, I, I think Kerber does everything that Davis does, yeah. A, from a le- lefty perspective, but B, just a little bit better. Yeah, I, I completely agree, man. I mean, that's that's exactly what I was going to say. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be tough, but I mean, it could be a battle, you know? Yeah. I mean, both players, it, neither one of them is going to go down easy. Um, you know, they play a similar style. Obviously, Kerber's lefty, but... It's going to be I, one of those, the distance per points, easily over yes, 45 feet per point. Yes, exactly. So, if you want some lengthy rallies... That's my type for, of tennis. Come on. It, exactly. So, tune into Kerber Davis, man. Yeah, and then you want the big hitting, Kvitova Meltanovic. That's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, Kvitova, she doesn't hold back. I mean, I again, no upset alert there for me. I mean, I'm expecting Kvitova to 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 get through that one. Obviously, we know the success that she's had at Wimbledon before. But yeah, no, I think all these matches are definitely ones to keep an eye on. Whether there's upset alert or not, I think they have the ability to be pretty darn good matches. Yeah, completely agree with you. Well, with that being said, then... One last thing. Oh, any other matches to preview? You ready to do our last thing? Let's do it, man. My favorite. Yeah, exactly. This was upon, you know, it's not often that Matt makes any sort of, you know, not that I don't ask him. He's very kind. He's like, Gruskin, whatever you want to do, let's just do it. And I'll find a way to say the things I want to say. And that's why I love doing this podcast with you. But upon special request, uh, because he said, you know, this was a lot of fun. We both agreed something we want to do moving forward. Rather than just give random predictions, we thought we'd make a game out of it. Obviously, we've been calling it, you know, our go-to name possible or alex you're f-ing crazy with that being said Westoff, give me some sort of game show sound effect please so again we're gonna we're gonna sequence these from you know more likely to happen to the more uh random ones the more i i suppose daring uh predictions i have but maddie we'll start with this one 
Right, uh, yeah, we'll start with this one. Riley Opelka will beat Milos Raonic. Possible or Alex, you're effing crazy. Possible, man. I, I definitely think this is possible. There's no question. I mean, when I saw the draw, obviously these two guys play similar, right? I mean, they're both just going to blast serves. I think th- this one, unlike the stand match, I I promise you, Gruskin, there will be a tiebreaker in this match. I swear. <laughs> and if there's not, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to lose my mind if there's not. Uh if there's not to me, and I say this respectfully, it means either A, Raonic, who I think was struggling a little bit with injury today at the end of his match, um, pulled out of the match, or B, Opelka <laughs> just had the hangover effect from the Wawrinka right. match and just doesn't serve well. So there's certainly that possibility. But again, Milos will be more willing to take time away from Riley to move forward, do the things that Riley wants to do. But Riley's probably the better returner, in my opinion. Eh, that's harsh. Milos is the more aggressive returner and can do more damage. But in my opinion, Riley will block more balls back into play. And it's just a question of can yeah. he get, you know, buy himself any opportunities. And he got 10 against Stan. There's nothing to say he can't get, you know, four, five, six against Milos. Yeah, no, exactly. Definitely possible here. Yeah, I, I agree. Again, that was a good starting one. All right, now a little bit. Well, again, we'll up the love on this next one. Novak Djokovic, we both talked about how well he's playing. I asked you to hold this thought. Novak Djokovic will win the 2019 Wimbledon without dropping a set. You're crazy. <laughs> You're crazy. He, he's going to at least drop a right. set. I, I know. Look. Can I set the path go before ahead. you go into it? Let me set the path for you. Third round, Hubie Hercatch, tough matchup for him. Hubie, big guy, tall, can do a lot of things well. Uh, you know, certainly capable of winning a 7 6 set off of Djokovic, just holding serve the other way. Plus, he's going to make a lot of returns. Plus, Djokovic played so well in this Kudla match, there's the potential for the letdown. Then, two next gen guys, FA or Umbaird. Then he gets, if he advanced, you know, he's got Medvedev, Gofen, Verdasco, Fabiano. You look at the bottom half, the seeds, Anderson, Raonic, Kachnov, uh, Per or Vesely. He could very, uh, let's say, you know, it's well, a Kachnov, Djokovic. Well, that's just to get to the fi- final. That's not, even, that's not even counting the final. That's true, but I'm saying that pathway, given how many young guys there are, or in Anderson's case, a guy coming back from injury, or in, you know, Raonic's case, same thing, or Vesely, who's just, you know, would, would find himself up against Djokovic in a semifinal. A lot of scenarios that could break in Djokovic's way where I see him not. Plus, this level of play he showed. I mean, if these courts are going to stay slow, good luck beating him. Look, I'm with you, man, but you asked me, will Novak Djokovic win it's Wimbledon? Possible. What I'm saying is it's possible. It's no, possible. I, don't, I, I don't, don't think it makes me crazy. Mm, I, I think you're crazy, man. He's going to drop a set. I think it's the first one you've called me crazy. He's going dro- to drop a set, man. I, I, if he wins Wimbledon without dropping a set, yeah. I, I will be— Look— God, I will be so if impressed. If I'm Vegas right now, if I'm Vegas right now, him winning without dropping a set is probably like what a thousand to one. But I'd put a thousand to you know, you put a dollar on that. You're right; it's certainly possible. If we play this Wimbledon out a thousand times, one of those scenarios, he plays well enough where he just crushes yeah. everyone. Uh, we'll see. But yeah, you're right. No, you're right. You're right. You're I think right. you're. I, I think you're a little bit crazy for that. All right. Well, then we'll loop back into the realm of possibility. We mentioned earlier, Karen Kachanov into the third round now. He'll match up against a number 23 seed, Roberto Bautista Agut. Then if he wins that, he would have the winner of Benoit Pair or Yuri Vesely to make uh, the fourth round. For Daniil Medvedev, he matches up with number 21 seed, David Goffin. If he can win that, he would get the winner of Verdasco and Fabiano in the next round. 
uh, Matt crazy, or possible, or Alex, you're effing crazy. We will have two Russian men in the quarterfinals of the Wimbledon singles. You're crazy. No. It's not going to happen. See, this one I thought for sure you'd say this is possible. I mean, there is such, there's like a slim, <laughs> there's They're such favorites. A... They're the highest seeds in all of their matches moving to the quarterfinal round. I know, but if you look at their sections, I mean, look, Medvedev plays GoFan next. That is not an easy match. A confident GoFan, a coming off of a Hall of Final GoFan. Exactly. I'm nervous for Medvedev in that matchup. I really am. And then you look at Hatchinov, he plays Bautista Goot, who is always a tough customer. And can drive the ball through a grass court in yes. ways that will make Hatchinov uncomfortable. I just, I... I... I don't think it's going to happen. Is there a is there a chance that it could happen? Yes. Look, there so is So that makes it possible. It so is, then cha- I need an answer change. You're not getting an answer change because it's <laughs> it's not happening. It's not happening. If what your statement is is that there will be two Russian men in the quarterfinals and yeah. I'm going to say you're crazy. Okay. Look, I, again, Given that they're the favorites, the case for making it possible seems pretty available to you. I also think three out of five, you know, you're not going to find, you may find maybe Djokovic, but fewer tougher customers on the ATP Tour than Medvedev and Kachanov, who physically that perfect combination of young, lengthy, and in shape to where they're just, again, so daunting. You saw Popperin today won a really physical 7-6 first set, and then Medvedev just, again, threw a thousand knife cuts, just kind of, or uh, threw a thousand paper cuts and knife cuts. A thousand knife cuts, and you're really bad. <laughs> but a thousand paper cuts, and just, you know, sort of wore away and wore down the Popperin backhand. It became that much harder for him to run around and hit the forehand like he wanted uh, for Kachanov. You know, his success at the slams, getting to at least the fourth round recently, well documented through his last six, seven slams. I think it's very, very possible All right. that those if, two make it. If, if those two, if they make it, and, and you didn't even mention Andre Rublev, so I guess you're not considering him for this. Oh, even, even though a good point. The dark horse. He beat Sam Query, and then what? Who would he have to face? Let me look real quick. Uh, I believe he would end up with Laszlo Jur, and then uh, the winner of Jur Milman, and then he would have to beat the winners of Simone Sandgren, Fuksovic, Fognini. Again, no names in that group of eight that, other than maybe Sam Query, that really, really scare me. So I don't think Rublev will be the guy, but I really could see if two. if two of them look if they're in the quarters, two of them will revisit this, and I will allow you to just absolutely be yes ridicule. I I, I will. So we got to remember this. We'll come back after the quarters or or before the quarters, I should say. And if if there's two Russians in there, then then you got me, man. I will I will let. If there are two Russians, I'm demoting you to three star tennis recruiting dot net recruit. All right. <laughs> All right. Fair. And in terms of what you get to do, you get to do whatever you want, as always. Uh, so <laughs> we'll worry about that later. But all right, now come the American centrics uh, predictions. The final three. Uh, we'll start with this one. The last American male player in the singles draw will not be named John Isner. Possible, oh, that, or you're crazy. Very possible. Ah, uh, good answer. I think that's very possible, if not probable. I mean, we're looking Ooh. at guys like Sam Query, Fritz. Um, yeah, no, I, I think I, I definitely think I wouldn't be shocked at all if the last American male is not John Isner. In fact, I, I'd maybe go as far to say I'd be slightly surprised if John Isner was the last American male. 
So for tomorrow, Isner versus Kokushkin, Fritz versus number 33 seed Struff, Johnson versus 25 Dimenauer. We already mentioned Query versus Rublev. The last one, again, Sandgren versus number 20 seed Simone. So a lot of Americans uh, at risk tomorrow playing the higher seeded players. But we mentioned Opelka. I think he's the only American on the top half of the draw through to the third round. So he's, you know, locked his place up in contention. But we have a potential matchup between Fritz and Isner in that third round. Uh, and that would certainly be exciting for us American tennis fans. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, well, probable's tough, right? Because John did get his first win in straight sets. He now has a favorable matchup with Kakushkin. Yeah. Uh, but the way Taylor Fritz is playing, the way he dissected an injured but still veteran presence in Tomas Burdich, if he can get another win over Struff, he's beaten Isner before. Yeah. Upset alert, high rings. Yes, I completely agree. Yeah. All right, cool. I, I think we both are in agreement there. Possible for sure. Uh, you even said probable. I'm shocked. That's a borderline hot take from you. Yeah. Hey, you know what, man? I'm I'm here for something, right? That's about as bold as you did. <laughs> it takes an hour seven for you to give me something spicy like that. I like it. <laughs> Um, but all right, another one for you. Same theme, but we'll switch it over to the WTA side. The last American female player in the women's singles draw will not be named Serena Williams. Possible or you're crazy? Oh, I think it's possible. Very I, possible. I would argue yeah. this one, right. I, I'm like it much more confident. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree, man. Uh, it just, that, that's the fact of the matter. I mean, who do we got? Sloan Stevens, Coco Goff. Um, you Colin, know, Danielle, Col- so it, right now Collins and Goff are the two locks, but in play tomorrow on the women's side, Allison Risk versus Jorvich, so she's unseated. Yes, Williams versus Huvon, and then she would have either Flank or Georgie. Uh, Lauren Davis, Kerber, that's tough. Townsend Burtons is tough. Stevens versus Wang, and then Sinyakova or Kanta, Anisimova versus Lynette, and if she wins that, the winner of Mladenovic, Kvitova. You know, certainly Serena is in play, and you know, you never want to doubt an informed Serena. And obviously, the Andy Murray and her playing mixed doubles just more incentive for her to continue to strive in this tournament. Uh, but I just so many cracks at the barrel. It just seems like the American, like uh, you tell me, Anisimova is the furthest. You tell me, uh, Sloan Stevens gets on a right. run. Everything's believable to me. Yeah. I, exactly. I completely agree, man. And I mean, Serena, look, I, I know that people are saying that she's, you know, healthy now and, and ready to roll, but I'm not entirely Neither convinced. I mean, her first, her first round w- was pretty easy. I mean, she played, she played fine. She got through it. She looked pretty good. I think her draw is uh, favorable tomorrow in her match. I think she's going to be able to get through that one, but I, I don't know, man. When when she's gonna be tested, like I, I really need to see her play somebody that's really gonna test her because then we'll know if she's you know completely healthy and in really good form or not. I'm not convinced just yet. Yeah, I, I think that's completely fair. Um, look, it all speaks to the fact that that we're gonna have this many cracks at the apple. Uh, the chances to get by Serena that, that we're talking about both. Serena and Isner not being the locks to be the last American players in the singles draw. It speaks to the fact that American tennis, slowly but surely, getting a little better. Yeah, good point. 
I like it. Which leads me, which leads me to my last question, and a little bit for, of a preface for you. Matt and I talked about this question before doing this interview. I have since adjusted the number because I'm afraid if it was what it was originally, that you and I would get in a little bit of trouble because uh, for putting these sort of expectations. So, with this being said, and I it a little use this as a chance to plug one of our most recent cracked interviews. I got the chance to talk with former World Junior Number One and Junior French Open singles champion Whitney Osigway, one of the many young American women t- uh, tennis players seeming to break through right now on the WTA side. Uh, bet- you know, she not in this Wimbledon main draw, but she's had so much success winning uh, the Australian Open and French Open wildcard challenges to get wildcards for her. She's on the precipice of the top 100 right there. Obviously, we've mentioned Sophia Kennan already, Amanda Nisimova. We've seen what Coco Goff can do. I'm even going to throw CeCe Bellis in that mix as well because we've seen the level from her when she was healthy of what she was capable of. Matt, possible or you're effing crazy? The combination of Goff, Anisimova, Kennan, Bellis, and Osigwe will win over 10.5 Grand Slams. I'm going to say possible. I mean, it's not—I wouldn't go as far to say probable, but I will definitely say possible. I mean, I think for sure—I know Anisimova is going to be able to win slams. I mean, I I know that already, Um, and she's still so young. It will happen eventually. Coco Goff, obviously, with what she's done, I mean, we would imagine if things—if she just stays the course and continues to develop, she looks like the kind of player that will be able to win slams— We've talked about Sophia Kennan. I like her game a lot. CeCe Bellis, I'm taking her out of this. She will not win a slam. That's zero for her. So if the 10.5 are coming, it's not going to come. One of those will not be contributed by CeCe Bellis. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, I I think it's really hard to say, right? Because they're all so young that, you know, we haven't seen all that much of these players, you know, and if and if I may, just to to jump on that point, Bar- oh, you, players were forgetting Ashley Barty, twenty three years old, Naomi Osaka, twenty one years old. Both of those players, Grand Slam champions. Pliskova still twenty seven, Kvitova twenty nine, Halep twenty seven, Svitolina almost twenty five, Stevens and Keys. And then you mentioned you know players like Kerber and Benchich and Andrescu and Vondrasova. And just there are so many young, talented players that, you you know, I'm sure I left other players out on that list who certainly deserve being mentioned. You know, Yastremka, who we saw today, she's 19 years old. Uh, there are so many talented players. And, you know, I'm sure there are players we haven't even heard of yet who will come through and make a, na- uh, a, a name for themselves. So I can hear Jonathan Kelly already getting mad at me for this sort of question. But the potential of this group is just, you, you, can't, you can't not talk about it. Yeah, no, it's massive. I mean, I think we can all agree on that. And I just, I know for a fact that Goff, Anisimova, and Kennan at least are going to have the level to compete for Sam's. I just, I mean, I can see that they're they're going to be able to get there probably sooner rather than later. I don't know. I mean, Goff is only 15, so I'll give her a little bit of a break. But yeah, man, I mean, it's it's hard to put you know, that kind of expectation on these guys because, I mean, ten and a half slams, I mean, that's... It's a uh, lot. That's a, uh, that's a lot. It's I mean, a it half Serena. Exactly. It, it definitely is. So, but I think from what I've seen, it it is, it will be possible. Yeah, I just... Again, it speaks to the potential of this group and how good of the hands that America's in that I could ask you this question and you're not immediately writing me off as effing crazy because there are just so many young, talented American players 
who have all had success at the junior level and are now all finding success as they're making their transition. And usually when you knock off those two check marks, not only the success at the junior, but the immediate success as you're transitioning, that usually bodes well. And that we've seen this many players do it, again, we're going to have a ton of bites at the apple. It's just a matter of how many of them are going to be able to succeed. Yeah, that's well said, man. Oh, thank you. That's why uh, they make me the host of this thing. But with that, that in mind, right. all, that good hosts, right. all good hosts like to give the last word for, to their guests. So any final thoughts? Are you ready to wrap up? Oh, man. I am ready for a 4th of July filled with Wimbledon. Oh, man. Good food. Bring it on, man. Let's let's go. I'm ready. Well, the pe- the people who are certainly bringing it on, as always, are super producers Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who never have a holiday break, especially when it's Grand Slam season. So we want to give a shout out for them to doing the, f- the job that they always do. If you've missed any of the action and you want to catch up on all things Wimbledon, seriously, check out our other mini break podcast from this week. Our team, uh, you know, trying to keep you guys up to date with all things going on as it is Grand Slam season. And since you've got a little time on Independence Day, probably do want to check out on the action. Go give all of that a look. Check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, The Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, What the Deuce, uh, obviously for more immediate updates, Twitter, uh, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. But for that being said, for my wonderful co-host, Matt Stokowiak, Maddie, I hope you enjoy your July 4th and have a great time. For our super producers, Max Flinger, Daniel Westhoff, and from our entire team at Cracked Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Maddie, what do we tell our listeners? That's a break. And we hope you enjoy your Independence Day. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.